0: Hey there everybody and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host Christian Ubius. Christian, you were just telling me about a dream you had recently. Uh, Would you care to share with the listeners about this this dream that is relevant to today's episode?
1: Yeah, Michael Myers was in it, but it wasn't a nightmare because he wasn't coming after me he was like coming after other people and so i don't know <laughs> <laughs> just uh i <laughs> just love that it's not a
0: nightmare when michael myers appears and is killing other people as long as your personal safety is guaranteed it's just like another dream
1: although when i woke up I'd, like the closet was open and i was kind of thinking to myself he
0: in there <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh if only you had one of the the french door style closets that he hides in, in the halloween movies it would have been even spookier
1: or if only i had jamie lee curtis here
0: true that jamie lee come on the pod we'd love to have you uh and and hey good we're not doing a nightmare in elm street retrospective because i mean if freddy krueger shows up in your dreams that's that's just bad news bad, bad news for all involved that
1: is very true very very true
0: but, Christian, Halloween was last week, and today we have a new pair of horror movies to discuss. Once again, talking about the original and the latest in a franchise that ignores preceding er, sequels from in between the two of them, and that is, of course, Candyman. 1992, directed by Bernard Rose, and this year, 2021, directed by Naya DaCosta.
1: Written by Bernard Rose ninety two, written by Jordan Peel and win Rosenfeld and Nia De Costa in
0: twenty twenty one. Is it Nia or is it Naya? I've I definitely failed to look up the proper pronunciation.
1: I do not know. Mrs. Da Costa. Miss <laughs> <Ms>. Costa.
0: <laughs> Ms. DaCosta in the director's chair.
1: Is she married?
0: I I don't know. I'm I'm not up on her personal life. I have no clue. (laughs) So, forgive, forgive, is is Bernard Rose... Director (laughs) DaCosta. Director DaCosta, yes. Uh, This one is, of course, the newest movie that we will be discussing here on the show. It did come out just this month, correct? We were a few weeks late to the party, but first week of September, Candyman... Yes. ...hit our multiplexes? It did, yes. And, Christian, you and I got to... uh, See this yesterday at our local AMC with our good buddy and friend of the show, Paul Yoder. So this is this is fresh. This is but fresh. Y- you were able to fit in the original Candyman before, correct?
1: Yes, and I purposely logged neither on Letterbox because you keep looking at my <laughs> Letterbox reviews.
0: That's right. I got I to gotta get, a, get a sense of how you're feeling. I actually logged the original Candyman before recording this time. So did you look up my review? Y- yes. Oh, how interesting! Any any uh, spoilerish thoughts you want to get the listeners get the listeners going? Drop a drop a hint for them for how you might feel. No. All right, listeners, you just got to wait till we start actually discussing and reviewing these movies. Let's go into fun facts. Let's do it. As you know, we often like to wrap up the third episode in the blend with some bonus stuff at the end here. So we're just going to get right into it. We're going to roll into the fun facts for these movies. We got one each for the movie. So, Christian, why don't you lead us
1: off? 1992's Candyman used real bees, newborn bees, 0 to 12 hours old so that their stingers would be less potent. And they also looked like very immature bees in the movie. <laughs> they, they really tried for that stingers to be less potent,
0: and yet, these stingers still occasionally were quite potent, as I know Tony Todd suffered a number of bee stings on the set of that movie, and it was part of his whole deal with being in it. They had to prepare him for that, and he kind of laid it all out of the field for the movie, so shout out to Tony Todd. One other interesting thing about that movie is that, obviously, the Candyman movies, if you have watched them and are familiar, center around the Cabrini-Green housing projects in the city of Chicago, and they filmed on location for both movies. But in the original, since they were filming in the, the famous high-rise Cabrini Green apartment, the production team actually had to have conversations with some of the local gangs that you know, were around and made a deal with them, essentially, that allowed some of the gang members to be extras in the movie that resulted in the, the movie being able to shoot and get what they needed to get. Uh, Before moving to their next location. So I think a little bit of protection, kind of keeping an eye out, but also promised, you know, not causing trouble by just being in the movie. So I like that. Kind of an interesting one, but working with the local community there, (laughs) the production team of Candyman.
1: Tarantino did the same, well, not with gangs, but Tarantino for Django um, used only locals as his extras, which I enjoy. Anyway, um, okay, my second fun fact for 2021. Is that who we have playing the lead character is not the original person we were supposed to have. It was going to be Lakeith Stanfield, not Yahya Abdul-Mateen II. But Lakeith Stanfield turned it down to play, um, well, Judas in Judas and the Black Messiah. (laughs) Let's go with that.
0: Which, I love Lakeith Stanfield... But I'm going to say, I mean, that just works out for both of them, I think. I, I really love Lakeith Stanfield and Judas and the Black He designer. got oscar got an Oscar nomination for it. Yeah. And then I, you know, a little spoiler alert here, but I think Yaya Abdul-Mateen is good in this movie as well. So it worked out for the both of them. They're, they're both two people I like to see in movies. And another final fun fact here for you. Uh, Nita Costa, somewhat notably, became the first black female director to become the uh, to, or to make the number one movie at the global box office because when Candyman came out its opening weekend it was the number one movie and that was the first time that had happened in all of cinematic history so <laughs> cool barrier being broken there great to see a, a new and young director having success but also you know getting to influence in that way as well so just pretty cool for the newest Candyman movie here. You know who the first woman to have a number one movie at the box office was Christian?
1: Was it, it, there's no way it was Sofia Coppola.
0: No, it was Mimi Leader for Deep Impact. (laughs) Previous episode of this show. (laughs) We did discuss this, yes. There you go. So there's your look at the box office when it comes to women directing films. Uh, We've gotten to discuss a couple important ones on the show over the past couple months here.
1: But in that case, also surprising in the, you know what, let's just keep going into it. (laughs) Let's just keep going into it.
0: We're just going to keep going into it. (laughs) Christian, of course, the, these movies were your selection for the month as you get to curate horror movies and their same-name sequels here in Spooky September, so I just want to ask you, of course, to lead us in you know a little bit about why you chose these movies, and I'm sure you'll hit me with an opening question.
1: Why did I choose these movies? Well, the, the Candyman was the central figure in this. Part of it was doing my own homework. I, like you, I was not well-versed in horror movies growing up. I... Still, I, I have seen some of the major classics. There's, there are still many that elude me. I've almost n- never be prior to the age of 21 purposely chose to watch a movie. The only, the, the, this is the second horror, third horror movie I've seen in theaters. The first one being It, which is kind of a movie that I love. But the, it, it's, it's weird in, in, in the sense that, um, I wanted to... I, I was excited for a remake of Candyman. I was excited to see how how a modern horror franchise plays out. And I wanted to... I, I kind of just wanted to center it around... There are so many... Um, we have with Blair Witch Project, the the cool use of um, not-real-documentary style. <laughs> and found footage. Found footage. The, um, we, the great use of Jamie Lee Curtis... Yes, in in Halloween and here, just the approach of racial relations in a horror movie for it to not just be entertaining, but for it to raise certain questions that are not normally raised within the film.
0: Right. Horror movies are used as, as a vehicle for commentary... and and thoughts on society quite often and I know that's somewhat becoming I would say more popular or more mainstream in a way as you have movies like hereditary that are coming out that are big huge horror movies but are also about trauma you know things like that and so Candyman it's not one of the originals because horror movies have been about things for a long time but Candyman is a really cool and at this point with the new one coming out culturally relevant example of this of a movie being about scaring you and about something much deeper
1: all right, so here, here's the question. What did you think the original Candyman did in order to raise awareness about the projects in Chicago? And was the 2021 Candyman sequel able to further the racial questions being asked, or did it fail?
0: Mm, that is a good question. One that I am not fully qualified to speak on, but <laughs> I'll try my hand at it. Uh, I will say the, the original Candyman uh, sets up the franchise in the Cabrini-Green projects in Chicago, which is a real world location. They're shooting at these buildings like we discussed. And so by the time we come to Candyman, Helen Lyle is the main character and she is researching urban legends and stumbles across the legend of Candyman that it, it seems has originated from Cabrini-Green and often when somebody dies at the uh, in the projects there... They will often tell a story about how Candyman got the person who died. And so she is looking into this story, and of course, it's a horror movie, so she fought Candyman. And by intentionally changing up the setting of the story that they're adapting, because Bernard Rose is adapting a Clive Barker story that was originally set in England, which is Clive Barker's native country, He adapts it to America, to Chicago, and to the Cabrini-Green Project, specifically trying to take the themes of the original short story and and look at race relations in America. And to that end, I think it is a successful example of making a movie that is obviously about something much deeper than is on the surface, and being able to entertain you on the surface and get you thinking about some of the subject matter. And so in terms of the questions on hand here, you, you you think about gentrification, you think about why it's mostly black people living in these low-income areas. You think about why is there so much violence at, in these low-income areas. And you have these questions being asked that you're, you're thinking of or sometimes being directly asked by the movie. And 2021 Candyman gets a lot more direct with some of these questions as some of the characters just start openly talking about these things. And so that that's kind of setting the stage there. Uh, is that answering the first part of the question, would you say? To an extent, answer the second part now. <laughs> Re- Restate it. I, I, I. Well, I sort of lost it while I was talking about the first part. Did it raise awareness about the projects? Uh, I, in terms of raising awareness, I was uh, still an idea in 1992 when the original Candyman came out. I was not a person yet, and so I'm not sure about the level of awareness raised at the time. Did it
1: raise awareness to you about the projects here in Chicago? Well, yes, it's your opening question. I'm not asking the audience.
0: Well, hey, sometimes movies can be objectively about things. Okay,
1: answer the question (laughs) and stop damping, which is something you do every episode. You're,
0: You're... He's really yelling at me, folks. I kind of can't determine how mad he is at me or not. I wasn't trying to vamp. I was just trying to answer the question. And so in terms of for me, I think these issues are things that I have been thinking about over the past year and a half or so, especially with George Floyd and uh, the continuing rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm thinking about these things, talking about these things. And so in many respects... I think that a lot of these issues were things I was already aware of. And and I know that one critique of 2021 Candyman is that it seems to be a movie made for a white audience where people are directly and some have said didactically talking about the issues at hand, these things like gentrification and so on. And so for me, I think the Candyman character and mythos and legend is really interesting to think about because it's rooted in this history of white people committing violence against black people for explicitly racist reasons and so it's interesting to think about that but in terms of how heavy-handed at least the second movie can be I'm still not not even quite sure where I land this is like we saw this movie yesterday it's very fresh the first movie I think is definitely definitely a success in that area even if some of it is is pretty mysterious and kind of left open to your interpretation so what about you? Like, that's my not super helpful answer there, but what about you? What did you think? Yes and yes. To each movie or to each part of the question? Each part of the question. It, truly, the essence of this podcast is me taking five minutes to answer the question and you answering with two words. <laughs> I love the Cinema Drip podcast, Christian. So it's successful for you. I love producing and editing the Cinema Drip podcast. and. You're a saint. You're a saint, Christian abuse. So obviously it works for you. I I do want to ask you to expand a little bit on that because what's interesting about these movies in comparison to the ones we've already talked about is obviously Blair Witch Project is found footage very much trying to be just a chill you to the bone horror movie. Halloween, I would say same thing, the original especially, it's the progenitor of the slasher It's just trying to scare people, give them a good time on a Friday night at midnight. So, Candyman has a, so much more on its mind than those movies, at least explicitly. Like, people have written much about Halloween and, you know, the slasher genre. But Candyman is trying to communicate about these ideas. And so, what is working for you in these movies, especially in the new one, where I know it didn't work for some. And so, if it worked for you, I'd love to know why.
1: The the thing about this movie, these movies... I don't completely understand what is going on in terms of the questions it is raising. I don't completely understand the- I I don't know if Candyman is a hero or a villain. Because I think that he is being portrayed as such. And the main issue that we ran into yesterday is that Candyman is being uttered by members of the black community and killing individuals in the black community instead of killing the white individuals who, who um, actually brought about the existence of Candyman. That being said, all of that is kind of an allegory. Um, and so I thoroughly enjoyed both movies. I will say this. This is now the third movie in a row in which I have liked the modern one more than the original. Really? Yes. Interesting. And I do it because, and, and don't get me wrong, this this was very close for these two. I, I think that the, the, the tying aspect of all of these movies is black trauma. And the idea of black trauma being something that is living in these communities, in the projects that they're in, that they recognize as not being the best areas to live, that they recognize as not as being uh, at times riddled with gang activity. Uh, and yet they're also recognizing that Candyman exists because white people did him wrong, killed him. And now he is back because that trauma does not just go away. Right. It does not just end when the individual dies. Now, um, I, I, I also get that part of the plot in both movies, though much more so in the modern one, is is confusing. We don't know why all the deaths are there. We don't necessarily know why all the characters are there. And yet I still think it's 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 succeeding on top of that. In the original, what I think was was so interesting is that now it's the white woman who is not being believed by the society around her, in in and that she, um, though within a different context it could definitely be seen through problematic eyes. But when you look at it through the idea that white women. It is interesting to have that original victim who became Candyman because he had a relationship with a white woman. Now it being turned on the white woman is the one who is suffering because of it. I think that was an interesting use of social commentary. Outside of that, Candyman is really creepy. He's not, I don't think he's that scary. I think he's incredibly creepy and we don't completely get a sense of who he is, which I also love. Because how is it that you're going to unravel everything that's happened within the black community in these projects in Chicago, which is a much more layered response? Chicago, who even in recent memory has seen death tolls and crime rates go up significantly. So, and as someone who has lived near the Chicago area, but not in the South Side and not in Cabrini-Green, it's... um, Well, I'm not going to say that it hits close to home necessarily, but I can say that I have seen these areas. I have seen the squalor that is in these areas, and I don't know what—it's nice to kind of like get the other side of there's a voice here that is waiting to come out.
0: There's a, there's, there's a lot there, and I appreciate you sharing that in full, because especially getting to connect in a way to your own experience, like being at Northwestern, living in Chicago for a few years, getting to experience the city in some way. I will
1: say Northwestern is not Chicago. No. <laughs> Northwestern being is... in Evanston, near Chicago. Evanston is near Chicago and is very wealthy.
0: Yes. So still being being proximal to the city, getting to go visit, and experiencing Chicago I think that is a cool way to connect it to your own experience and obviously you know you know more than i do i, I have not spent more than a few days in chicago at that time uh, in terms of the original movie then i think the original worked a little bit better for me than the modern though i would say again i, I liked them both and it's a, a small advantage so we're just kind of flip-flopped in our responses here and i i love that we get a lot of what's going on, but it's still mysterious and kind of maybe not left open to interpretation, but we're not given all the answers. And I do love that as well. And and where, you know, Michael Myers, for example, we don't get a ton of answers about him. He's just like pure evil and and that's it. it. It helps create great atmosphere in the original Halloween movie for me in the same way. Candyman, there's, there's the modern urban legend about him. And there's these historical stories that are brought up the, you know, in the original movie, Candyman being this kind of vengeful spirit of a man, like you said, murdered in the late 1800s for having a relationship with a white woman. And that atmosphere, again, worked really well for me. And so not the scariest horror movie for sure, but creepy, I totally agree with.
1: So here, here's where, just quickly recapping, um, we have Helen goes around investigating the urban legend that is Candyman in the original. In the modern one, we have Anthony McCoy, in, who's a painter investigating the legend of Candyman to influence his painting. Um, now, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Uh, Candyman 2021, I believe, is the best directed film that we've seen off of the six that we've looked at. You may take that however you want. <laughs> With a fence. <laughs> I think Mia Dacosta's work is incredibly stellar. I was I, I was captivated every single instance. She knows exactly how to pace the movie. She knows exactly how to make great use of those mirrors. It was so cool looking at mirror work within this movie. It was so creepy. It, uh, it was fantastic. Original, I would give a nod much more to the storytelling techniques that I think are... Are so immersive and so cool to kind of go about this world that new, the new version now m- much more flushes out. Uh, let's let's divide this. We're we're not necessarily going to talk about plot, but standout moments when you think about these two movies, what comes to mind? And don't try and be an equal opportunist. Don't try and side with a, like both movies. Just give me what you liked in general. And if all of those come from the 1992 version, cool.
0: I'm just going to tell you, probably the best scene in either of these movies is Candyman's introduction in the original
1: movie. Because for
0: so much of 1992 Candyman, Helen and her partner are, are just on the trail trying to research these stories to inform their research. And about halfway through the movie, her... Her friend gives her some pictures and like, hey, this is, you know, we, we got these done so you can start studying them. And she is great and walking back to her car. And then all of a sudden she realizes she's not alone. She hears a voice calling out to her. She turns around and boom, there he is. Tony Todd, the Candyman. And oh my gosh, this guy's voice is like, it's, it's velvety smooth, like rolling over your ears out of the speakers of your, of your television. And he his entrance into this movie is so ridiculous that it completely upends the whole structure of the movie. And it goes from this research, like series of investigations, urban legends investigation kind of thing into a waking nightmare where Helen is now waking up in places she doesn't remember getting to, her mental health is being questioned, people are dying and we're trying to figure out if it's her going crazy or if Candyman is real. And that opening scene with him is so well handled and the performance is so flawless in the way that Tony Todd completely grabs the movie and, and wrestles it to focus on him immediately. And oh my gosh, like just got to be the best scene in either of these movies, in my opinion. What did you make of that scene?
1: Loved it and the velvety smooth voice, especially <laughs> since we had already been introduced to fake Candyman earlier on. Right.
0: Right. There's a bit of a red herring with a guy who's trying to pretend to be Candyman to scare people.
1: But yes, uh, I like it. Don't love it. I think the best scene out of any of these two movies is when um, Anthony in the second one looks at himself in the mirror and realizes he the mirror is showing Candyman. And that is his reflection. And the arm that he has that's been diseased... Actually, now shows a hook in the mirror, and as he runs away, Candyman still has a victim left in the house or apartment. I love that scene. I absolutely thought that scene was so cool, so creative, so inventive, so colorful. Uh, so, uh, I'm, I'm gonna lean that way. Let's talk about uh you know what? Let's talk about the mythos of Candyman. Which Candyman is scarier? <laughs> Do you want to talk about the mythos or which one is scarier? Because I feel like those are separate questions. I
0: I don't even know, really, which one is scarier because... The second one. (laughs) I I didn't even really find myself scared by either movie too much. And there are certainly... The second one has a few moments that got my stomach, you know, maybe tying up in a knot a little bit. There's particularly... It's a scene from the trailer where there's some teenage girls chanting Candyman (laughs) into the mirror but there's a moment involving a reflection, not in a mirror, but in a paper towel dispenser that got me good. I was was like pretty unnerved by that, but I don't find either of these movies particularly scary. And, And even the first movie, a word that I saw used to describe it is it's gothic. It's not like intentionally horrifying or terrifying. It's trying to create this atmosphere. And it's more about Helen's descent into Candyman's embrace, so to speak
1: i think that's why i like the second one more because as interesting as helen's descent was the kind of like transformation of someone into Candyman in the second one that was much more of a thriller i i kept me kept me more uh but that is neither here nor there um i will say having by changing it up so that
0: in the first movie you have this white woman interloper basically who One of the characters openly says, like, when white people come around here, talking about Cabrini-Green, like, bad things usually follow, because it's this community that is predominantly black and low-income, and so normally when white people are coming by, it's police. And then by changing up that, the narrative focus to a black man now who starts, as he gets involved in the mythos and in the movie, starts to, like we see in that mirror scene, kind of get enmeshed in the Candyman legend and starts to you know lose his mind not because he's being scared and being haunted but bec- or maybe he's being haunted but because he's possibly like becoming a candy man and that's what he's afraid of that is a really interesting concept in terms of the mythos of Candyman, and you see obviously the differences that having a white female protagonist and a black male protagonist bring to the movie these movies
1: what um I want to spend a little bit of time talking about the criticism that's been raised against 2021 Candyman, and then we will go into awards, but there has been criticism saying that this movie is a movie kind of aimed at white people, much more to commodify the black experience rather than one that actually delves into black trauma and the Cabrini-Green experience that, that, that is real. So uh, do you have any thoughts on that? I mean, that is hard to wade
0: into as obviously I am a white person and therefore I cannot speak, you know, from a, a black American perspective. I <laughs> can't offer that. And I've only read really one full length review by a critic that we both like, Angelica Jade Bastien. And that was her primary criticism is that 2021 Candyman is commodifying the black experience. And she's not a fan of DaCosta's direction, not a fan of the script that, you know, and Jordan Peele's involvement in this movie. And so I would definitely direct you there if you're interested in this discussion and want to read something from a, you know, a black American's perspective. Uh, in terms of my thoughts on it, I, I think it's definitely more heavy handed. And I think didactic is an accurate word. And didactic isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like calling something to attention, making it the center focus of the frame Can work and Spike Lee obviously is is often criticized and praised for being didactic in his movies sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't but it's part of his personal style and so there are definitely moments in this movie that sort of feel I'm trying to find the best way to say this but feel like they were literally written for like 60 year old Democrats in the suburbs (laughs) the kind of people who get all fired up by like Nancy Pelosi putting on the scarf and kneeling and then you know, no real change comes like that kind of surface level aesthetic wokeness. I guess you can say there are parts of this movie that feel like they're kind of pandering to that kind of person, like pandering to me. Um, but there are obviously elements that go a lot deeper. And I think the I forget his first I think William, the character of William Burke is interesting in the modern Candyman for his involvement in the story and how his trauma obviously in the past affects his present day actions and we won't spoil that because he's you know a major supporting player he has followed in the ending but his journey i found really compelling and so in terms of purely didactic and commodifying i don't know if i can fully exonerate this movie but i, I can say that it did work for me it, there are a few moments where i kind of rolled my eyes was like "Aha, ha ha but then a few moments where I, it got me thinking and but I, I wasn't compelled.
1: But here, here's the thing, though. Um, and again, I completely respect the individuals for whom this didacticism did not work for them. I'm on record with you as having said, "Black Klansman's didacticism does not work for me. I really don't think that that is a movie that's that that is succeeding there is absolutely no depth to that movie
0: speaking of spike lee and and again i disagree there but that's a conversation for another time
1: but the here here's where i i'm really enjoying this one it it kind of acknowledges its own didacticism in the art critic criticizing originally the paintings of anthony mccoy Mm -hmm. the entire project he says your your kind all does the same thing. They go into a, a poor area so that you can take from it and present it here. And that was like a, me thinking, y- yeah, it, it's like making fun of the fact that people will look at a surface level and not actually delve deeper into what's causing the pain within these communities. So I thought that it was tongue-in-cheek in what it was doing.
0: And we should say, this is a, a white art critic speaking to Anthony, and so he's, he says, like, you're kind? He kind of, excuse me? And she says, artists. You know, artists are the ones moving into these low-income areas and causing gentrification or or causing degradation, whatever you want to say. And that is an interesting scene because it's, it is like the hand is so heavy on the scale it's breaking <laughs> in some respects. But, I, I mean, I'm with you in that, I think, by calling it out and drawing attention to it. I, I like what you're saying in terms of it's obviously drawing attention to it, but... It's, that's kind of the point.
1: I think it's, but I think the movie is somewhat, somewhat didactic, but much more so self-aware. I mean, we can make the argument that Get Out is an extremely didactic movie. The themes are there. <laughs> I'd on, vote
0: for Obama a third time if I could have.
1: <laughs> Definitely. The, the themes are there on the surface, but there is much more depth when you realize, oh, it's actually playing on these surface-level tropes in order to get like this deeper message of racism and like white desire for the black body across whereas candyman 2021 I think is playing much deeper into the black trauma and using the tropes of didacticism to have self-awareness and be the tool
0: i I will say I think where the the 2021 film makes a misstep is with kind of this candyman mythos. Where...
1: It's confusing. It's confusing. It's so confusing.
0: Things get... Definitely get messier than they need to. And in the original Candyman, we learned that the spirit is... You know, he is the... This vengeful spirit for an artist who was murdered for his relationship with a white woman, and now he now, haunts.
1: And now in twenty twenty one, many spirits. Yeah, it's, it's an, like one Candyman, many yeah. people, a number of people, and we killed don't know what happened to Helen really because I thought Helen was also Candyman at one point, <laughs> right? But but also, um, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to say something that is very weird for me to say. <laughs> yeah. There are problems with this script that did not really bother me.
0: <laughs> Christians, it <laughs> ain't so.
1: <laughs> what's happened to you? Bring back my co host. Problems with the script that you didn't mind. It was just so entertaining and well paced. And the problems, I think, just delved into a bigger theme that I'm like, I feel, I, I don't know. I, I trusted the filmmaker. I'm like, here's the thing Nia DaCosta knows what's going on with this movie, even if I don't understand the mythos.
0: And in terms of pacing, shout out to a ninety-minute movie in our in our cinemas. Like I'm one, I love I love my epics from time to time, but I mean this movie gets going. It's and it's a tight ninety-one minutes, I think, and that includes the very intriguing credit sequence. And so, I like. I, I'm with you there too, in that there are, there are obviously some things get forgotten out, and we were laughing with Paul because he spent. <laughs> hi, Paul. Thanks for listening. He spent uh, <laughs> like 30 minutes after we all got home texting his various questions about the movie <laughs> and certain like certain story decisions. Or, I don't think
1: Burke ever got his laundry. <laughs>
0: yeah, Burke didn't get his laundry as a child. You know, those kinds of small things that are acceptable disbelief suspending things, maybe a logic problem here or there, but. All right.
1: The discussion is over. <laughs> we are now going to move on into the awards section
0: there we go so folks 1992's Candyman recommended a little more strongly by myself but recommended by christian as well we both watched it on tubi tv where you can see it free with ads and it's rentable a million other places The new Candyman is still in cinemas, especially if you live in a city like Los Angeles, where we are, and recently hit VOD, I think. I'm not sure if it's a premium pricing, because it's still in cinemas, or if it's rentable for normal prices, but you can look into that. Again, we would both recommend it. Christian, a little
1: more strongly than me. All right, so we have chosen four different awards. I have chosen, you have not done that. (laughs) Let's start with the first one. Um, I'm going to tentatively say Best Production Design, and... As, as the name of the award, and it's much more so a best use of horror in terms of the style and the images that we see, whether that be CGI, gore, production, what have you. What are your thoughts? So are we picking
0: per duo or, per, or
1: an individual movie? Individual movie. Individual
0: movie. Interesting. I would say in terms of best production design, I'm probably going to go with the original Candyman. Because I love the gothic atmosphere of that movie, and... I, we, like, we didn't get to go too deep into it because, you know, we have these pairs, but, like, so much of the craft in that movie just blew me away. Like, the Philip Glass score is just, like, going so very hard <laughs> and is helping to create the atmosphere. There's lots of operatic chanting and involved in the music, and it's all building to something definitely different than than everything else that we looked at. Plus, I mean, you have the design of Candyman, his, his coat, his hook, and looking into... This neighborhood obviously capturing these on location, not you know, not sets, these on location places, uh, I think is all really well done and create created a really excellent atmosphere. And I, like, I love the atmosphere in the original Halloween, for example, but obviously, that's just in, in the suburbs. You have these two houses that are kind of functioning as the main locations, and so definitely good production design. Design you can't have a great movie without good production design, but. 92 Candyman, like, that's that's my choice for best production design.
1: I agree with you. I mean, um, tied almost with um, the Blair Witch Project, but I feel like that was more just We Have Nature. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely, like, excellent craft on display in that movie, but yeah, they, they did a lot of improvised filmmaking, and so there's so much that was thought out, but not... <laughs> the sets that they were just wandering upon necessarily.
1: OG Candyman I thought was beautiful, especially for the bees in toilet scene. Oh my gosh!
0: <laughs> yes, the, the actual note that I wrote myself was bees and the turlet. That's what I wrote to entertain myself while I was watching that movie, but yes, uh, that, that whole area, this like public restroom is a great example of this like modern and classic and like classic horror meshed together in that movie.
1: Uh let's go with best performance.
0: Best performance. Uh obviously another tough one. We got a lot of great performances from the women in these movies. Yeah, they were rocking it. <laughs> <laughs> some like iconic performances from women um coming from some of these, especially the older movies that we're looking at. I was really torn between two, but I'm going to go with Heather Donahue from The Blair Witch Project. I, okay. I talked about this on that episode, which if you missed our discussion of Blair Witch, go check it out. But I thought it was so impressive that she was creating this character largely from behind the camera and, and very infrequently on camera. And yet created this fully realized, fleshed out character who I felt for and probably one of the best individual scenes that we saw this whole month of her crying in front of the camera in deep deep terror afraid of what is going to happen to her kind of coming to terms with the fact that she's not going to survive just an, an incredibly performed scene as well so i'm gonna give some love to heather donahue with my best performance award
1: i'm gonna go with jamie lee curtis in 2018's halloween i think that yeah. as this Uh, like, battered, -battered, wind-battered, old-hewn, I don't know the words and adjectives I'm using. (laughs) This just, like, wise old woman who is ready to kill Michael Myers. The
0: wisdom from trauma and and years of fear and preparation.
1: It's fascinating to me, and she is so jamie lee curtis is just like a force she is like a horror movie icon just in general in my opinion having what i've seen of her in horror movies <laughs> i think she's incredible i think that she is just incredible you always her scenes are the best scenes in that movie yes <laughs> it, it and, <laughs> looks- and her action sequences are so, like the best action sequences in that movie so um, I'm, I'm 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 so ready for halloween kills
0: all righty what's our next award
1: Next award, best villain. Who do you? Who would you be more scared of? The Blair Witch, Michael Myers, or Candyman? Keep in mind, it is very easy to avoid all three of them.
0: <laughs> yes, if you don't want to get killed by the Blair Witch, don't, don't sleep go into in the, the woods. woods.
1: Just don't go to the woods at all.
0: If you don't want to be killed by Michael Myers, just don't, don't be in, in that, the he- that he- one Illinois. specific town. <laughs> And if you don't want to get killed by Candyman... Don't say
1: his name in the mirror! Don't do it.
0: You even have five chances. You can say it once, no problem. Twice even, but don't say it five times. Uh, I I did have a laugh thinking about this question because Michael Myers is the, the one villain that is always visible, so, you know, gotta give credit where credit is due. Blair Witch is up to some magical trickery and Candyman is hiding in mirrors, and so... I I was thinking about this, and I did have to go with Michael Myers here. I think he's the one that most got under my skin and made me afraid. Uh, The Blur Witch, obviously, less is more, and that's part of why that original movie is so beloved and iconic. And then Candyman is, again, a a deservingly iconic horror movie villain. I'm so glad to be aware of him because Tony Todd's performance in the original Candyman is, is incredible, and he would have been my second pick in terms of best performances. But gotta go Michael Myers, he's the one who most got under my skin, and weirdly the one that I most want to see more of. Like, I'm not sad that I missed out on Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, and I don't know if I'll ever check out the other Candyman sequels, but I do want to see more of the Halloween franchise, just because there's so much there, and like, bad horror sequels are kind of a, a beloved thing in certain circles of movie people, so... I I feel like I would want to return to that franchise and see more of Michael Myers and you know his gruesome kills, I'm sure. So I win
1: Myers. I also go with Myers because I think he's the most terrifying. Like this is this is this is just pure evil. However pure evil manifests itself, it manifested itself in Michael Myers. Alright, so um okay. Lastly, best picture. Best
0: picture. This was an easy one for me because I think we only watched OG Halloween. One truly bad movie, that being the the Blair Witch sequel. Everything else I I did like a lot. Like, all above average for me. But yes, I did go with the OG Halloween. And again, reflecting on that movie, it's just the one that I loved from the get. I loved the atmosphere. Michael Myers got under my skin. That the theme that John Carpenter wrote for that movie is perfect. And even just continues to set the tone for the movie throughout every time it comes in you know michael's gonna get up to something bad plus it's just classic trashy fun (laughs) like a slasher villain coming for these horny teens (laughs) like it just created this genre that was you know huge for hollywood and still lives on in some ways today and so i i liked most of these movies and but i only loved one and that is og halloween
1: so, OG Halloween was the one movie I actively did not like.
0: Yeah, you're... you're
1: And um, the two Blair we're talking Witch about are... is my pick because it is the oh movie that gosh. scared me the most.
0: And you mean Blair Witch, not The Blair Witch Project?
1: I mean Blair Witch, the 20-whatever sequel.
0: We just have completely divergent opinions on these movies.
1: I I I was hiding from Blair Witch. I thought it was so cool.
0: I just can't, man. <laughs> I I know like again, I loved Halloween I and you thought it was Halloween boring was and
1: old old overrated and loved Michael Myers. I thought it was ah. kind of boring. And then you love Blair Witch and have love all of this connection
0: to it. You're finding all these themes. I'm just like, this movie is a bad idea and a pile of stink. <laughs> like, I'm so like, my opinions I get are often basic and loving Halloween is not brave. And ripping on the Blair Witch sequel is not brave, but I, I just like fell in line with popular opinion. So The one thing I will always give you on this podcast is that you are so much better at forming original opinions (laughs) than me. Uh, And it's not to say that my opinions are, you know, influenced necessarily, but I often go, kind of go the way of the, uh, go with the flow there. And Um, so I commend you. you're Roger. There you go. I'm okay with that. (laughs) You too. There you go.
1: Alright, um, before we log off, tell the Peoples what we're doing next week.
0: Oh, Peoples, we got something good coming for you next week. So, obviously, these movies came during spooky September. So we got to look at some famous horror movies and their same-name sequels. And we're going to keep the horror train a-chuggin' as we start to head into October. As, naturally, October is more famous for its horror movies, with Halloween, of course, being the famous day... So, as our lead-in to October, we will be doing another horror movie streaming recommendations episode. Last year was super fun. Thanks to Matt Bergen and Emily Baker for coming on last year to discuss a few different movies, most of which, from my recollection, were all really good. I know you felt differently about Trick or Treat, which is a movie
1: that I liked more than you on that show. I will say I also watched it on AMC with the ads. And yeah. That re- prob- maybe probably tainted my view of it. Not ideal.
0: Yeah, I did too. It, it's not ideal. But we'll be taking a fresh look at some horror movies to share next week. And again, we're hoping to have a few guests join us. One is still in the works, correct? We have no confirmation just yet? Said yes said yes Said yes okay perfect then we can say we have two guests lined up and we are looking forward to number one welcoming back friend of the show Paul Yoder who already got a shout out in this what does he can with us and he is gonna jump on next week to share about a horror movie that he loves and we're bringing back Emily Baker she is coming back for round two of horror movie recommendations she'll have a fresh pick for us to share it'll be good to check in with her it's been a little while Christian, do you have any uh, any any ideas Bounce around your brain for what you might pick? You're gonna to try to fit in some new ones, you already got one in mind.
1: I am going I'll fit in one or two. I'm I'm leaning eighties in terms of Ooh. ones to like one that I wanna check out. But outside of leaning eighties, that's it.
0: Alrighty. Last year's episode was fun because we had four very different movies, like all living in different corners of the horror house. And so I'm excited about this, this year's recommendations episode two. I think it should be a good mix. We have not yet discussed what we'll be, you know, what we'll be sharing. Don't know from Paul and Emily yet, but it should be another good time. If you've reached this point in the show, we, as always, thank you for listening. Christian and I love watching these movies and sharing our discussions. And so it does mean a lot that there are folks out there listening along. We do appreciate your support. There are a few things that you can do to continue to support the show. Number one, leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. We love to read our reviews live on air, and it helps us reach new listeners there. You also can, of course, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, as, of course, growing subscriber count means we know that folks are listening along and what's working and what's not. And hey, speaking of what's working and what's not, you can also send us an email at podcast at gmail.com where Christian and I are regularly checking that and trying to incorporate your ideas and suggestions into the show. It's been said before but obviously friends of the show who email and share some feedback have also ended up on the show and so uh, we can't make promises unfortunately but we can say we love to reach your emails on the air and use that for deciding on future blends for the show. Baseball month, Christian. You ready for baseball month? Paul
1: Gonzalez's idea for us. Paul Gonzalez, you band. a <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, unfortunately, Christian keeps Paul power rankings, and right now Paul Yoder's in the one spot. Paul Gonzalez is, is in second place, so we'll see if uh, Paul Gonzalez can jump over Paul Yoder there. But if you do have any ideas for us, or to some feedback, we would appreciate it. Send it to cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com. You also can follow Christian and myself on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. As you know, I will often uh, peek at Christian's reviews to see where he's leaning before our discussions, and he he chooses not to do it uh, when I rate something before we discuss it because he's a better person. But we'd love to know that you're following along there. Feel free to leave comments. We'd love to engage with the folks out there on social media. You also can follow myself and the show on Twitter and Christian, any other social media you want to plug? I I normally throw out your Instagram, even though it's like your personal private account. (laughs) I like Venmo. Yeah, there you go. Be Christian's friend on Venmo. You can start sending him sending him tips uh, for for producing this show. Christian, any final thoughts for the folks listening along at home? No, no thoughts for you folks. It's about to get spooky, or should I say, spookier? Horror movie recommendations coming next week, and until that time, this has been the Cinema Trip Podcast.